Support for today's episode is brought to you by Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women. You know what Goldman Sachs is, but you might not know that they have a program that works to empower female business owners around the globe. 10,000 Women is a global program founded by Goldman Sachs that provides female entrepreneurs around the world with practical and actionable business tools. It supports women with resources like business and management education, networking, and here's a big one, access to capital. We know how important that one is. More on that later. For now, let's get into it. And as an actor, that's my job, to show up and give you these feelings at the drop of a dime. And I've just perfected my craft where I have an on-off switch. So I literally could be in a scene like, no! (laughs) Girls, don't anybody laugh. I'm Danielle Weisberg. And I'm Carly Zakin, and we are the co-founders of The Skim. You're listening to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, where we talk to other female entrepreneurs about what it's like to get to the top and then what it's like along the way. We're talking bad advice, the really, really low days, the management mistakes, everything that goes into the real stuff. No BS. We started The Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it all began? We're on a couch. (laughs) (laughs) So I am completely freaking out because we are welcoming Taraji P. Henson to the couch today. You might know her as Cookie on Empire or from her roles in movies like Hustle and Flow, loved it. Hidden Figures, also loved it. And so much more. But you might not know the rest of Taraji's amazing story. She's always wanted to be an actor, and she decided to take that passion seriously after she flunked out of pre-calc in college. After school, with her young son in tow, she moved out to LA with just $700 in her bank account to chase her dream. And she made it happen. She starred in countless TV shows and movies that we all love. Now Taraji's using her voice to create change in a whole new way. She started a foundation to tackle the stigma around mental health in the African-American community. And she named it after her father, who pushed her to chase her dreams in the first place. It's called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Congratulations on everything. (laughs) Um, And it must especially be an amazing feeling to launch that. So Taraji, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We are so happy to have you here. Uh, and stay tuned because we're going to hear a few questions from our very own Skimbassadors at the end of this episode, too. In the meantime, though, let's <laughs> let's talk. So let's start with an easy question. Yes. Way back at the beginning, mm-hmm. how did you know you wanted to be an actor? Um, I guess the first time the bug bit me was I was in kindergarten. It's funny because you don't remember a lot of childhood things, but the things there's certain things that stick out in my mind. I remember this. I remember... Uh, they picked a few students to sing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow for the ceremony. And it was like me and like two or three other kids. All I can remember is me. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I just remember the feeling that I had when I got up there because I was a very rambunctious kid, very outspoken, um, and I had a lot of energy. And um, I wasn't afraid of a crowd. I love to entertain. I used to do it with my family, sitting on the sofa all the time. Like, TJ, do a cheer, do a poem. I would just do anything. I just loved to make people laugh or feel. And I remember singing the song, and I said something funny for, or did something, and I like did like this, and the audience was like, ah! And I was like, I did that? <laughs> <laughs> it was something magical about having that many people under my control. <laughs> so that's where it happened, kindergarten. And then again, um, in the fifth grade, I didn't go to a, an art school, but um, 
you know, back then you had you they had music in school and art when kids were bad, you know, more, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we didn't have social media, just put it that way. And um she put me in this play and again that feeling of coming out on that stage and the audience is riveted and you get to make them laugh or cry, I just kept remembering those moments. It happened again in the seventh grade and then it just kept going until I got to college. Well, sorry, high school. And I auditioned for Duke Ellington um, School of the Fine Arts, and they didn't accept me. So you know when you're young, that rejection, you don't know how to take it. And so I thought, really, I thought that meant I couldn't act. So my friend at the time, she was um, studying electrical engineering. I was like, hey, you know what? I'll go do that. Sounds like you'll be rich. I'll be rich, too. I had no plan. I just, I didn't, I sucked at math. I failed pre-calc. Pre-calc. That's before you get into all of the math. I failed it with an F. You're, and t- you're I, talking I to the right too. people. <laughs> I, fa- I had four tutors, and I still failed. I thought at least I would get a D minus. It's F. hard. It's it terrible. is very hard. My I mind isn't wired like that. I withdrew. Yeah, for, me I, too. I like, took the W. Always. Well, yeah. I just got the F, and then I was like, you know, maybe I should change my whole entire major. <laughs> <laughs> So did you really switch to electrical engineering? Because I'm like, that... (laughs) Well, see, high school, I went to a regular high school. Then it's time to go to college. It's like, uh, what am I going to do? And it was like, I can't act because they said I couldn't, you know. So then I just picked up electrical engineering because that's what my girlfriend was taking when she went away to school. And I was like, well, I'll just do what she's doing. And so then... She even said, like, a few years ago, we talked. She said, I knew you weren't supposed to be in electrical engineering because you had to take science. I mean, I'm... Uh, English. And in our English class, she gave us this, um, uh, what did we had to write a paper? We could either read it or act it out. Guess what I did? (laughs) And my friend was sitting there the whole time and she looked at me when we finished. She said, you don't belong here. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly I didn't. I got an F. So that's what shipped me back to um, Howard University. My dad was like, you're wasting my money. You should have been an actress so, anyway. So you go to Howard, and college had some unexpected turns for you, too. Yeah. Uh, so your life expanded in, in a big way um, mm-hmm. in college. So kind of walk us through. My my junior year, um, I became pregnant, um, and uh, I knew I wanted to have my baby. I was 24. I was living on my own, and I was always a domesticated young woman. I loved being home. I I played with actual baby dolls, not Barbie, because I was broke, and Barbie had everything. I was a little jealous. And so um, I knew I would be a good mom, and I, I was taking babysitting jobs at eight. I just loved kids, and I wanted my baby, <laughs> so I had them. I finished school. I Actually, there was a play, Every Man, um, and my professor, Mike Malone, may he rest in peace, um, I, I remember going up to him with my big belly. I was six months pregnant. And I said, don't you bench me because I'm pregnant and because I'm a girl. It's just so what? That's what we do. We have babies. <laughs> and I can do anything. And so he literally wrote the role that I played in the, um, in the play. He made her pregnant, wow. which made sense because the character was was messing around on her husband. So it's like, who's the baby? Whose baby is this? You tell that story now, like, with such confidence, right? That, like, this is you looking back on it, that, like, you are who you are now and everything worked out. Mm -hmm. But did you have that confidence in that moment? Yes, I did. How? I was always very confident, and my dad made me that way. And, um... I just knew it wasn't going to be a hindrance. I looked at it as a blessing. I didn't look at it as 
something bad that was happening. That's a natural thing for us to have women. Now, you can judge me because I'm in college, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to finish. And when I started hearing the murmurs, like, ooh, that's it. She's going to drop out. She's not going to blah, blah, blah. I was like, watch me prove it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I made it a point to be in every play. I did not disappear. I didn't take a break. And just so, I mean, as God would have it, I couldn't have written it any more perfect than it happened. Um, I had him when we were on break. Wow. <laughs> like, literally, I turned in my last report, and I went into labor. Oh my and so I had all summer to get it together. And then my senior year, I graduated, and I walked him across the stage with oh. me. I just, yeah. I love naysayers. They fuel me. They give me, you know, we all hate, we don't like haters, you know, mm-hmm. but you need them. Yeah. You need them. Otherwise, if everybody liked you, who cares? <laughs> like, it's, you know, so, well, it makes you lazy when everybody likes you. <laughs> so you walk across the stage to get your diploma with, mm-hmm. with your, your baby, and then you go to California with, how much was it, $700? $700. What was going through your mind when you get to California and you're like, I have $700. Like, this is not going to go very far, and you got another mouth to feed. I just didn't think about it. I have... I didn't have time to, to for fear to set in because if fear gets in and I start listening to that, th- that'll cripple me. So I just had to ignore that voice and just push forward. I just I wasn't afraid, I, and my father made me that way because he kept saying, "You can't catch fish on dry land." You know, I graduated mm-hmm. at Howard University, which is in Washington D.C. That's a political city. You know, mm-hmm. that's really nothing for actors there. Small theater. Um, I decided to go to California because I thought the, um, you know, the cost of living is a little, it was easier. Mm-hmm. New York is just so expensive. Yeah. And I didn't want roommates. You know, I wanted to at least give my son the, um, the childhood that I had. Mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't rich, but I always had my own bedroom, mm-hmm. you know. So I was like, at least I can give him what I got. And I just moved to L.A. I just felt like L.A. would be better for me, and it was. <laughs> Do you ever get scared? Of course I do. I am human, but um, I think in life, it's spiritual warfare, whether you know it or whether you believe it or not, but it is. If you think about it, light is always chasing darkness or darkness chasing light. You have negative, you have positive, you have hate, you have love, you have dark, you have light. So that's life. You have to choose which side. And you have fear, you have faith. I'm not giving in to fear because I see what fear does to people. I don't even like scared people around me because you're going to make some stupid decision that's going to get us all in trouble. So I just don't like to uh, believe in fear. Um, what's to fear but fear itself? I, I can't. It, it's, it will cripple you. <laughs> that's the only way I can put it. If it's not something that can hurt me, then what's to fear? So you moved to L.A. Yes. What, what do you consider your first big break? Like, when did things change for you? When I met my manager. At the time, it was Vincent Sorrentione, Um, And he knew what to do with me. He knew who to put me in front of. He knew, he understood the plight of a black actress in, 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 uh, in the business. And he didn't sugarcoat anything. He told me right away that it was going to be hard. He told me right away we would have to carve out my lane. Um, and so when you have the information, now you do the work. And I was ready to do the work. I knew I had a voice. What I did know I had was talent. And I was watching television. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I knew what I had to offer. And so I was just like, I just have to keep knocking until somebody lets lets me in the door. Did you have any actors or actresses that became mentors to you? Um, well, Debbie Allen and Felicia Rashad, pretty much, because um they had they they are Howard alumni mm-hmm. and they had, um instilled a 
scholarship um, honoring their father, Andrew oh. Allen. And I won it. It was a triple threat award scholarship. And I was six months pregnant. And mm-hmm. you had to sing, dance, and act. And so, I, you know, when you win that scholarship, you have to write a thank you letter to them. I finally met Debbie Allen at a, a benefit at they were raising money for Duke Allington, the school that didn't accept me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and they just, and then Felicia Rashad, they just have been swarming around me my entire career and I always tell the world about them because I would not have finished school if I didn't get that scholarship. All right, let's take a quick break. So we know how hard it can be to secure funding. We know it really firsthand. From the beginning, we had to learn how to become more bankable, market ourselves, and position the skim in the right way to get funding. It was tough. We went through a lot of names. We heard a lot of no's. And it's something we're really happy we did because at the end of the day, we ended up with great partners. But it's tough. And we know that we were really fortunate to be in a place like New York, which is one of the biggest venture capital cities in the world. And we know that there is so much opportunity to grow a business here and get access to funding. We also know that that is not the case for so many other women around the world. And that's why we're here to talk about Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women. It's a program that started in 2008, and since then, it's helped thousands of female business owners from over 50 countries grow and succeed. That's obviously important because we all know when women businesses succeed, it can have a huge positive impact on communities and the economy. 70% of program graduates reported higher revenues after the program, and nearly 60% of program graduates created new jobs in their communities. Learn more about Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women at gs.com backslash 10kw. What was it like when you got your first big role? And do you consider, was it Baby Boy? Was it Hustle and Flow? Like, which one, when you think back on it, gave you that moment of, like, I'm here? I thought it was um, Baby Boy. (laughs) That's what everybody was telling me. But I was smart enough and wise enough to know that there was a difference between men and women in the industry. And I found out uh, after Baby Boy, I don't know, it was my sixth sense that told me that. Everybody kept coming with me, oh my God, John Singleton, you know you're going to be a star. He's created this person, this person. And I don't know, something down in the pit of my gut was like, "Mm, it's not going to go that way. I just (laughs) know it. I, I don't know. Maybe I put that on myself maybe I jinxed myself I don't know I just knew that my road would be harder Mm -hmm. but maybe because I'm such a fighter and I'm so vocal maybe it had to come to me that way so that I have a story to tell and inspire other people I don't know but (laughs) it wasn't easy let's just put it that way I will tell you how why as soon as we finished baby boy and it comes out Tyrese books two franchise movies Fast and Furious Mm -hmm. and Transformers where was I Lifetime yeah. And then Hustle and Flow. And I still don't have a franchise film. You know? I, I have a feeling. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, no, let's yeah, just say not yet. Yeah. I, no, absolutely not Someone yet. Someone get but, her a franchise uh, <laughs> film. I know. We can work on it. It'll be our first film, too. Yeah, we'll let's do, it, do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I always just knew that it would be a tough road for me. So I just prayed to God for longevity and just uh, just prep me for that. So let's. you mentioned earlier that your manager made mm-hmm. a big difference in the beginning. And he started to paint the picture really understood in your words, the plight of the African-American mm-hmm. actress. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's changed at all in the years since you've been at Hollywood? We're seeing, you know, so much conversation about women and the roles of women across so many industries, and obviously Time's Up and Me Too. Um, but have you seen change since 
when you arrived in Hollywood? All of my friends are working. All of them. <laughs> I think with the explosion of the streaming television show network, Amazon, I think all of that has opened up a whole new avenue for everybody to work. Um, so that definitely has changed. People are working. Um, I still have to fight for my money. You know, it's always going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it were easy, then you don't have a story to tell. Um, so I have my arm, armor on. It's always a fight. Um, every level you get to, you have to fight again for something else. So that's just life. When you fight for your money, how do you negotiate? Because that, that was going to be my question. Yeah, that's this something is- I, I think we have had to go through ourselves. A lot of our listeners are thinking about how they negotiate it. And I don't. it hasn't gotten easier for us. You can't be afraid to walk away. When you know your worth and you know what you have to offer, it may take you longer to get where you're going. But if you have if you have something to offer, you will get there, and you have the tenacity and the stick with it, the stick to itness. Isn't that a word? <laughs> I think that's a word. I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you'll get there. You might not get there as fast as if you took the cop out plea, mm-hmm. you know. But when you're when you're fighting for something that you believe in, um, it's so much sweeter when you get it the way you want it. One of the things that, you know, our audience asks us a lot is where do you get the data points to know what you're worth? Like how do you, you know, you want to have an informed conversation. Mm-hmm. You want to, to feel like you, you you have all of the data to have that. And in a lot of industries, especially yours, it's very hard to get accurate data points. And, and I think what we've learned is the only way to really fight for yourself is to get that data and have very, very honest conversations with your peers. Where we've had to go to our peers and are literally like, what do you make? Mm-hmm. When did you negotiate that? Mm-hmm. How much do you own of this? So were there peers of yours that like you had to develop relationships with where you're like just tell me like what am I am I being underpaid like uh, no it's this there's a little different in our industry because you have lawyers and you have man uh, agents and managers and they actually do the negotiating they bring the number back to me and I get to say yes or no you know um but you just that thing is just getting a whole team around you um right now since everybody likes to number crunch in the industry, those numbers are important because numbers don't lie, Mm -hmm. you know? And once you can prove, hey, look, my movies gross this much, pay me, Mm -hmm. you know? Every time I put my name is on a film, it makes this much. Like, it's up to your team to prove that. So, yeah, but I I can, I back up my numbers. So, (laughs) even my flops do well. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, you need that on the wall. (laughs) what is it like to to negotiate with you what do um I'm a hard ass like you know I'm I'm not afraid to say no I'm just not you know why because I can always go back to theater like Mm -hmm. I'm just I have an instrument it's like it's my body but it's like the guy who takes that sax out Mm -hmm. and he can go play at any club you know I'm writing my own show right now see I make that's me taking control of my career Mm -hmm. you know um I've proven myself, you know, uh, now you can't really say no to me. Now you really have to give me my money, you know. But there was a time before where I was still in the proving phase. I'm not there anymore. Um, now it's all about numbers and, and all of that stuff. So I have a team to, to collect all of that data and go to war for me. And like I said, I'm not afraid to say no. When they bring that number to me, I can say, nah, <laughs> nah, <laughs> spin the wheel again. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, and that's usually how I say, Meh. <laughs> and then I, I want, go to lunch with my friends. I want that sound on repeat. I want to say that. Uh, let's talk about uh, playing cookie. I'm I sorry. Can I just say this yeah. one other important thing? Yeah. And sometimes you have to play the game. You know, sometimes you take a low ball number and say, you know what? I'm going to do this for now 
But once I prove that I am incredible or just as worth just as much as this other person, you're going to pay me. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if you're too early in your career, no doesn't work because they'll mm-hmm. just replace you with someone else. Well, now my no means something. Yeah. And, I, and I owe that all to Cookie because once I hit, and who knew a television show was going to, okay, so IMDb or whenever you look to see how which are movies are grossing overseas, my name was black. And it turns blue when you become an international kind of, Star. Yeah. When they start knowing you, you want to be the blue, I'm blue now. Hey, Aww. congratulations! Give me my money. <laughs> <laughs> when I was hearing you talk about negotiation, I was thinking of yep. Cookie, yes. and I was thinking, you know, how much of you pre-Cookie did you bring into that character, and how much, if anything, has Cookie rubbed off on you going forward? Um, and is it annoying to get these questions about? A character then no okay. no 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 uh i'm a character i love playing different characters um cookie is very bold um and i think that's why everybody loves her uh, you know men and women i've had men dm me and go i wish i had the balls to walk at the board <laughs> meeting today like cookie you know? <laughs> but uh, and i think because cookie says the things people wish they could say you know she's not afraid um she's unapologetically herself jail and all and that's bold um I get a lot of my cookieisms from my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, he's passed now, but my dad was very bold in the way he lived. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't hold back. He spoke straight from his heart. He had no buffer, and he wasn't afraid to live his truth, whatever that was. My father has been in and out of jail. You know, he would tell you. My father tried to commit suicide. He would tell you, like he was just. He had an open road map to his life. And that made me who I am. Like, that's why I can talk. I know who I am. I'm very clear on where I'm going in life. So there's nothing you can do to knock me off. You know, you might catch me on a bad day and make a smart comment. And I'm like, ah, you're mean. Or why did you say that? I might take it in. But then I shake it off and I keep moving. And I learned that from my dad and my mom, too. She thinks my mom, she's my mom is so strong and she doesn't see her own strength. You know, I watch my mom get robbed at gunpoint get up the next day and still go out and go to work and she's like you're so bold you're not afraid to go out I'm like mom you never stopped going out like stop it you taught me that (laughs) we talk a lot about how it's great to have a co-founder someone that you don't have to trade words with at the end of the day that you can just look at them and sigh and they know exactly what your day is like and what you're feeling because they're feeling it too. But sometimes you're kind of too busy to always be there for the other person. And sometimes I just need someone else to talk to about Carly. So (laughs) it's important to feel like there's someone that's always there to have your back. And that's why we are big fans of Talkspace. It's an online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. All you need is your computer and the internet or the Talkspace mobile app. The Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life's challenges that we all face. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com skim and use the code skim, S-K-I-M-M, to get $45 off your first month. That's skim and Talkspace.com skim. 
I want to talk about your, go back to your dad for a second, mm-hmm. because you've taken on a, a cha- another challenge in addition to acting right now, with which, which is your foundation yes. um, in honor of your dad. So tell us about the foundation. Okay, so the Boris Morris Henson Foundation um, was born out of a necessity for myself and my son. Um, my, fa- my son's father was murdered when he was nine, and um, then my father died on me two years after that, um, and it was not a good thing. I mean, the way he died, it was terrible. It was cancer. It's horrible. And I was in the room, so I saw the eyes. I saw the life lead. That's traumatic. We all have traumatic experiences. And so my son shut down for two days, and um, I knew we needed to work this out. And so I would send him to a psychologist or a therapist, and he would still come back not all the way together. And I'm like, what is the problem? He's just like, Mom, I just don't feel safe. And I'm like, what do you mean? He didn't feel safe because the person on the other side of the sofa, he felt like didn't understand his struggle, which means they didn't look like him. So when it came time to look for African-American therapists, it was like trying to find a unicorn. Mm -hmm. So then I called my best friend, Tracy Jenkins, who's the executive director of my foundation, and I expressed my frustration with her. I was like, how are we going to get help? First of all, we don't talk about it in the community. And um, I said... And so I and she was like she gave me these whole statistics about how many PhDs were given out to people in the mental health um, field and five percent of a hundred percent of um, PhDs that were given out were to African Americans five percent we're talking about the entire country <laughs> like so I said well that's because we're not having these discussions at home you know in the African community uh, uh, African American community. It is taboo to talk about mental illness. We are told, pray it away. We are told um, it's a sign of weakness or you're demonized if you try to vocalize what you've been bottling up for so long. So there's so many issues. And I was like, we have to do something about this. And that's where the um, foundation was born out of sheer necessity. It's amazing. How Tell us about your dad and, and the struggles that he had that kind of helped you kind of connect the dots to, to mm-hmm. naming this after him. My dad was a Vietnam vet. Um, he came back with Agent Orange. He, you know, he had mental issues in and out of jail because of hothead temper and things like that. Um, and uh, once he pinpointed what his issues were, he was able to get the help he needed, which made him a better person and made him able to vocalize and talk about it. Um, he was very honest about it. He never hid it. Um, and I just thought, um, since he was just so open about it, why not name the foundation after him? I, I couldn't find, what a better way to honor my dad, right? <laughs> Truly. I miss I, him so much. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a beautiful way to honor him. When, you, when I think about, like, that you're taking this on in an area that you don't have a background in per se, mm-hmm. and then it's just something born out of passion, like, I go back to my question before, like, when do you get scared? Like, do you, does this exhilarate you to take on like unknown or are there moments where you, or you have insecurities? Oh, we all do. We all do. I know we do. So I'm like, what are yours? (laughs) I I do, but I talk myself through them. I know that that's just the devil trying to get me to get on the fear side. And that's not, that's not who I'm, I'm with in this life. So I have those moments, but then I take my quiet time and I meditate. I take that energy in. Do you meditate? I do. I do, and I take that energy because it's energy. Mm-hmm. It's energy. I take it in, I breathe it, and I exhale it out, and I keep moving. You can't be afraid to fail. So if you, like, again, whatever my, anybody I know is afraid to do something, I'm like, is it going to kill you? 
Are you going to be decapitated? Are you, are someone going to come and kill all your family? Okay, then what's to be scared about? If you can live through it, you can do it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So why, why are we scared? Of what people would say? They going to say something whether you fail or make it. Or, yeah. or you know, people always go, don't live for people. I don't live. Let me tell you. I have people always telling me, everybody loves you. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't expect them to, yeah. you know. And um, that's not my mission to get everybody to love me or like me. I'm, that's too much pressure. You've. You've been successful. You you're you are in the blue now internationally. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the blue. You you have more than seven hundred dollars now. I assume. Yes. <laughs> what what drives you still? What is what are you working for? Mm. A life drives me. Humanity drives me. I'm a people person. I love people. I love the craft of acting. Um, I love my son. I want him to make it. I want to see him, all his dreams come true. My my soon to be husband. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, my dog. I just I'm a simple person. Like I don't I don't not at all the parties. I miss all of everything because I'm always working. I'm literally a homebody. Have you always been like that? Um, uh, not in my twenties. Yeah. I was at a club every night. Yeah, yeah. I was still looking for myself. I found myself. I found her. <laughs> uh, well, I think our community has some questions for you. So sure. we're gonna. Pull it on over. Kick it to Kara. That's a book Kara. of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so Kara, our community manager, is going to help us out here. We asked our Skimbassador Facebook group for mm -hmm. questions, and they were so excited to talk to you. Um, and they, they gave us so many. So I picked just a couple. Um, but Jacqueline wants to know, how do you bounce back when a project doesn't do as well as you hoped it would? That's out of my control. So I just release that energy. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't affect me at all. It does, but I'm mostly upset with the people whose job it was to promote it. <laughs> but what do you do with that anger or that energy? Like, do you go on a run? Like, what are you doing? I'm going to run because what I do, first of all, I know I've done my job. The critics love me. They, and God bless them. God, whew. Knock on wood. <laughs> they don't give me bad reviews. They may yeah. talk trash about the script or the director or whatever. But when I show up and do my job, I can't feel guilty because mm -hmm. I've done my job. Now, once mm -hmm. you take it to the editing room and the distributors and the, you know, the PR, if you don't do your job, that has nothing to do with me. So I remove myself from that. That's not my pressure. And Natasha wants to know, as a woman of color, how do you make sure your voice is heard in everything that you do? I know you talked about your salary a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. but in terms of roles you want to play and other stuff. Um, I just play the roles that I'm passionate about. I play roles that scare me. If something, if I look at something like, ah, this is easy, I don't do it. If it scares the bejesus out of me, but that just means it's going to change me, transform me in some way, something I need to learn about myself. So those are the roles I look for, the ones that scare the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Amazing. All right, my last those question. Those great questions. Okay, this is actually one that we ask every guest, uh, but given what's been going on in Hollywood around equal pay in the last mm -hmm. year, um, it's an especially big question to ask you. When is the last time that you negotiated for yourself? And how do you how do you go about that now, knowing that um, the compensation in Hollywood has been so public and, and systematically unfair for for such a long time for both women of color and and women? I will say that, I will say that. I'm like, now you know y'all don't pay us the way you should. <laughs> That's why I don't do my mm. negotiations because 
I think you should. I Can don't. you do ours? Yeah. <laughs> Can we bring you into the board meeting? The stuff I say to my team, and then they have to go back and relay it to the people <laughs> in a more diplomatic way. <laughs> the stuff I say on the phone, mm-mm. Not very uh, professional. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, so so most times I'm so insulted. You know what I mean? So it just comes out of pure passion and anger, but... That's why I have people. <laughs> uh, Taraji, thank you for thank everything. You. Congratulations on everything. Thank we you are so huge much. Fans, so thank, thank you. you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skin from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.